when we got married, we started off living in someone's basement and built a couple businesses. And we went from the bottom of the financial spectrum up towards the upper end. And what we noticed is that people feel that wealth is the thing that saves you, but wealth is most often the thing that breaks you. A lot of broken homes, broken families, broken identities. Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Shalane. We're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Ruth Thorogood is an entrepreneur, speaker, writer, and adventurer. As a young mom, she launched and ran a brand and marketing firm which served clients for over a decade. She now dedicates her time to Christian organizations and nonprofits, innovating with them to expand their impact. She has served the World Evangelical Alliance, the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, and Lausanne Canada as needed, hosting a panel in Lausanne's 2019 Global Workplace Forum called Business as Mission in Manila. Ruth and her husband repeatedly ask themselves how much is enough as they seek to serve others in innovative ways. Ruth, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. And, and Ruth, we'll jump right in. Um, if you've listened to our previous podcasts, you'll know that we love to start out this conversation by asking all of our guests to finish the sentence, poverty is. Well, that's a very interesting question because for me, a lot of people, poverty is lack of money and stuff. But I have come to understand that poverty is actually a lack of dignity and mm-hmm. lack of ability to really do to get out of poverty or to get your life back, to have any, any say over getting your life back to what you would think would be a normal life. Mm. Ruth, something that Eric and I know about you is that you believe each person can uniquely contribute to the needs of their local and global communities. And I suspect that that comes from this definition that you've just described of poverty. So can you just expand on that a little bit and tell us maybe how you've come to believe that? Well, a lot of it has actually come from my own personal experience growing up on the mission field. Mm. And, you know, when we came back to Canada, our clothes were delivered in garbage bags um, where people would donate their leftover clothes or clothes they were getting rid of. And I would be trying to fit my size nine and a half, dare I say that, uh, feet (laughs) into, you know, size seven shoes or size eight shoes because I just wanted some nice shoes to wear. And when we came back, I was I felt like we were never going to get out of poverty as a family coming from a family of seven kids and two parents that would travel to speak. Um, My mom would often go speak and get paid in a plant and not even covering her transportation. Hmm. So I felt it myself. And when I looked at it in Africa, we were the wealthy family, even though Hmm. we didn't have all the stuff, we were the wealthy family. So it makes you think, how much more do people who have no means, in Canada, we have the means to start our own business, to get a job. If you work hard and you look around, you can find those things. But in Africa, there's no small business center where you can get training. There's no Mm. thrift stores. 
you have to make your stuff or or figure a way to get out of it. And what do you do when you've got mental health issues or you've got severe health issues? There's these really kind of play big roles in keeping people in poverty. Mm. Well, I'm just wondering when you think about the unique contributions that individuals can make, how do you see that playing out, I would say, both locally and globally? Yeah, I think we've, you know, because there's been sort of the child sponsorship model, a lot of people think, okay, well, that's the thing that I can do is sponsor a child. And we sort of tend to stop there because we're like, we've got busy lives, we've got busy jobs. And so you kind of cut it off there and go, well, I'm doing something. Mm -hmm. But really giving back can be a lot more meaningful to an individual when you sort of sit and think creatively with God. And so, in my husband and my conversation about how much is enough, one of the things that we've done is we've actually tiered our giving depending on where it fits with what we feel God wants us to contribute to. So, we sat down Mm. and we made a list of areas that we felt really passionate about, and then sort of what were the outlier areas, sort of in a tiered approach. Hmm. And for the ones that we're really, we really feel God drawing us to, they get the bigger bulk of our funds. And then we have done different things from there. So, we'll give lesser amounts sort of as it goes out into the smaller edges of where we feel we need to give. We'll give uh, a lesser amount maybe to those. Um, and we try to research the charities that we look at to make sure that they, again, are still fitting with our values of alleviating poverty in a healthy way like redemptive entrepreneurship. And we go right down to, you know, for charities that we may not necessarily be super passionate about, we'll run an event for them um, where Mm. they can bring their donors and we just try to make the event special. And an example like that would be that we'll take our sailboat and we can fit 10 donors on board and we provide the charity with our catering person and they'll create a beautiful dinner that can be done on board within the charity's budget. Our catering company is very creative with any budget. So we kind of, we've kind of looked at all the different things that we can do and looked at it that way. And then we've also got things like one of us will sit on a board or I will donate my professional marketing services to help launch mm. uh, different things. So we've kind of looked at all these different ways that we can get creative with God. And it it's far more meaningful and in the long run, it's more beneficial for the charities because they're getting something that is unique because we're all unique. Mm -hmm. So that's what I love about thinking more creatively with God when it comes Mm -hmm. to working with charities. Yeah. Even that phrase is just such a cool one. Thinking creatively with God, there's, there's something so uh, important about that. And you also use this term redemptive entrepreneurship, which I want to maybe come back to for a moment that perhaps some of our listeners are not familiar with that. What is redemptive entrepreneurship? How did you first get connected to it? And how has it impacted you? Well, I have to say, I am not the 
expert on redemptive entrepreneurship. And the people that I know that are tell me occasionally, I still get it wrong. So (laughs) bear with me and I will do my best. But essentially, you know, everybody that is in business or is an entrepreneur has the opportunity to contribute some of their skills to their community in a positive way. Ultimately, I think my personal passion of redemptive entrepreneurship is that I would love to see more charities go overseas and actually teach business models to community members so that they can actually run healthy businesses and be self-sustaining locally. And one of my favorite uh organizations that I like to promote because they've done such an incredible job at it is Enviro Stewards. Mm. And what they do is they have actually four business modules. They might be up to five now of how to create a water project, a safe water project. And it goes right from the construction of the cement water filter right through to how do I manage my uh, materials and manage costs versus expenses and paying my employees like it kind of takes you from one end to the other and what I love about it is that there are functioning businesses coming out of it that are then hiring locally they are engaging with local government and it becomes really a project that the whole community can get behind so I personally would love to see more of that rather than what we saw so often where people are constantly being fed money and then local people end up becoming basically tied to the next paycheck that's going to come in rather than finding that dignity that we talked about Mm -hmm. earlier and being able to care for their own families. One of the hardest stories that I had recently was from an Indian pastor who basically said that uh, the dad could not afford to buy gifts for his kids for Christmas. And so he literally burned himself um, and hoped to kill himself by burning himself because he felt like such a terrible father that he could not provide gifts for his kids for Christmas. And like that lack of dignity is just heart-wrenching that a person cannot find a way to get out. And this is what I would love to see changed, giving communities back their dignity. Mm. Uh, Ruth, this whole redemptive entrepreneurship is something that Eric and I are both encountering a bit more with different guests, and Food for the Hungry is engaged in this um, approach as well. What do you see being the benefit to Canadian businesses in terms of this redemptive entrepreneurship model? Because it's it's something that can really be transformative for anybody. And so I'm just wondering, because most of our listeners are probably Canadians, what benefit would there be for someone with a Canadian business? Well, there's a lot of positives. And again, I can point to Enviro Stewards again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because they actually encourage a large percentage of the work time they actually give to, like it's over 10% of the employees' work time can be given to serving local groups and actually training up local groups, which I just love. But there's there's two sides to the equation. One is that in Canada, there is a lot of need. We've got a lot of homelessness, a lot of 
uh, a lot of poverty. We've got a lot of groups that really could use uh, helpful business training and a leg up. Um, and I love talking to young people, like young mm. adults, who are actually creating these uh, incubators and pulling together investors to actually help launch some of these things, which that has been a wonderful conversation to have. But the other side of the equation that a lot of corporations don't consider is that people get to the point where they want their work to be meaningful. Mm -hmm. And so when you can actually create a redemptive entrepreneurship or you can create redemptive entrepreneurship opportunities within a company, you actually get more of a dedicated workforce because they get not just the quality of the work that they're doing, but they also get this great opportunity to impact their community, which adds another layer of fulfillment and, yeah, mm -hmm. really connecting to what they are doing. So another kind of angle on the redemptive entrepreneurship conversation, at least that comes to my mind, Ruth, would be how can, and this is coming back to that creative piece as well, how can charities and nonprofits make room for more innovative approaches outside of trying to just rely entirely on the donations of obviously generous donors? Yeah, I mean, the, the challenge with pairing redemptive entrepreneurship with charity is that our charities have really been built on an age-old model. Like most of them are entirely based on these uh, donation models. And so we are kind of really talking about innovating in the charity space to create these other ways of doing things. And, you know, there's, there's tremendous potential. So for instance, one of our sons runs a company that creates desktop CNC machines. Well, with the CNC machine, you can cut, etch, or carve wood. And on their machine, you can cut anything softer than aluminum. Well, when you've got something like that, you can actually make signs. You can make, you know, specific woodworking carvings uh, to go inlays and in furniture and, and a variety of different things. It's basically your imagination is the limit. Hmm. And so if the charity that we donated that machine to could start to actually create signs or, or whatever using that machine, that actually creates a source of revenue for them. Mm -hmm. And so the great thing about combining a redemptive entrepreneurship prod project is not only that the local people are learning how to run a business, but it can actually generate some income for the charity as well. So again, like I might be off the redemptive entrepreneurship script a little bit. I might be adding my own uh, benefit flair to it. But really, there's, you know, there's just so much that comes out of a charity not being so inward focused and actually turning outward towards the community to say, how, Lord, can we innovate Mm. with these great business models or can you bring business models to us that we can innovate and not just benefit ourselves and continue to continue the work that we're doing but how can we impact our community and you know we have the most creative god that there is and so why are we putting boxes around what yeah. charity should look like you know tech is innovating and god created tech. So why can we not innovate with God? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I hear you say that, I it seems like that perspective is really breaking down maybe silos that have been in place between the nonprofit charity side of things and the for-profit business side of things where there's this spirit of innovation that you're talking about that it seems like you're, I don't say this judgmentally, obsessed with, which is great. Like there's this innovation that and this creativity that's just coursing through your veins. And just to inject some of that into the nonprofit world, I think could be so beneficial. And I don't want to, like, I don't want to rail on charities because the reality is all of us seek for a model because it makes life simpler, right? Like if you know that there's a model that works, that's what you go with. But I think especially as things are changing in society and and there's a real cry that I see with even young um, entrepreneurs that we need to do things better and we need to be innovating. And so bringing alongside some of those young innovators into the charities can really break things out. It will break things up a bit, but it can really break things out to increase the impact and the overall well-being of the communities that we serve. Mm-hmm. Charities, churches, can we talk a little bit about your perspective on the role of business within churches? Because I think you and I have chatted a bit before, but I think you have a, a really lovely and different perspective on what role businesses can play within a church. Well, I have to say it can be a hard dynamic sometimes between church leaders and local business people. And often the norm is if you're a business person, we want you to be contributing your funds to the church and that's how we're going to grow. But the reality is, is that nowadays so many of the business people have so many skills outside of just contributing funds, as we've kind of talked about earlier in this mm-hmm. in this podcast mm-hmm. anyway, that really there are innovative things that they can bring to churches. I've sat on many church boards myself, and I often will get into, for instance, we have a room booking problem. We've got a big church and nobody seems to know who's booked which room. It's all on paper. And if the paper goes missing, what do you do? Well, I mean, nowadays it's easy to just create a website that goes book an appointment for this room or, you know, book a time space. There's there's just a lot of what look like big challenges in churches that can be solved when you get business people involved. And not from the sense of like now the businesses have to run everything because that is kind of going contrary. But when pastors are open to really seeing how different uh, individuals and business people can help them innovate. I mean, the impact can be enormous for sure. Mm. Do you have any kind of maybe specific examples of churches that you've seen do this kind of innovation and engage businesses in unique ways? Yeah, there's actually a church that we have attended since we came back from our last sailing sabbatical. And they've really done a great job of engaging professionals in the work. And so when we hit COVID, they quite seamlessly went online. It, it seemed like hardly a hiccup and mm. they were online and uh, continuing on with Zoom calls for individual groups uh, within the church and 
and really being able to connect with people, continuing to run alpha groups, continuing to, you know, just do a great variety of care for the people that attended. This is really, has been a really interesting opportunity for churches to innovate and actually Mm. go further beyond the borders of Canada to reach communities all over the world. And so I think sometimes we look at the limitations of what your building can do or what, well, let's just say limitations in general and stop at that and say, this is the farthest we can go instead of, like I said earlier, sitting with God and innovating with Him and going, okay, Lord, like, how can we take this to the next level so so that we can meet with the challenges that we're faced today? Mm-hmm. So if you are listening to this podcast right now and some questions are bubbling up for you, we would absolutely love to hear from you. Um, perhaps you're thinking about this redemptive entrepreneurship concept. Maybe you have questions about things that Ruth has been saying. Um, we would love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out at podcast at fhcanada.org. We always appreciate continuing the conversation afterwards as well. So Ruth, you know, you've you've shared in here as well. We've talked about the innovation piece. We've also talked about, I want to bring the conversation back to donors as well. You know, you were talking about donors joining you on your boat. Um, you obviously have a heart for donors, um, for people who want to give generously. How would you encourage charities and nonprofits to consider the needs of their donors, maybe in ways that they haven't before? Well, I love that question because... What a lot of people don't understand is that when you sort of reach this space where you have available funds Mm. or you seem to have available funds, all of a sudden, a lot of charities show up at your doorstep. Mm. Uh, So the bizarre thing was when we came back from our sailing sabbatical uh, that we took for a year, it was like some email went out. (laughs) And we started getting contacted by all these charities going, you know, can you support us? Can you support us? Mm. And which is, you know, it was fine for us because we had really sat down already Mm -hmm. and talked about what was important to us. But there is a lot of donor fatigue out there where Mm. they're just constantly being asked for money, money for this, money for that. And when you're a known donor... Sometimes that information gets shared to other groups. And so you can get this donor fatigue where you're just like, I like I can't wrap my brain around who I should support anymore. Mm. And I'm tired of people being my friend just because they want to get money from me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you start to question actually who your friends are. And I'm just saying that as a general, like what we've heard from other donors, what Mm -hmm. we've experienced. And so when charities don't actually try to put together initiatives where they they care for their donors, it is really challenging for the donors and, and that donor fatigue can come on a lot sooner. So what we loved about discovering, like initially we were, we were just like, we can fit 10 people on the boat, you know. We want to support your charity. You come on the boat, bring your donors on the boat, and we'll just make it a nice, uh, unique evening because Mm -hmm. we kind of do this sail through the Toronto Inner Harbor. And by the time we come back, all the lights are up on Hmm. the city and it's just beautiful. It's a scene that a lot of people don't get to see. 
But what we discovered was that it was actually, it was like a safe space for all the donors to get mm. to know each other, to share the challenges that they faced. How do you deal with it? How do I deal with it? And, you know, these these bigger donor events seem like a really great idea. But when you get into a hall with like mm. 50 circular tables, yeah, they're circular tables so you can talk to each other. But when you've got 50 or 100 tables in a room, you can't even hear the person next to you, let alone the person across the table from you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of, I know that charities are always trying to innovate to find the best way to connect with their donors. But, you know, somehow, I've actually been sort of thinking through how can you create this variety of unique ways that donors can come together to really have that opportunity to one-on-one talk about the stresses that they face. Mm. Mm. I think, Ruth, a few things really strike me when you're talking right now. I think oftentimes charities think about our relationship with the donor, but we don't necessarily think about the donor's relationship with each other and with other donors. And so what are the innovative ways that we as nonprofits can facilitate those safe spaces for donors to connect with one another as well? Uh, that's, that's beautiful. I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Yeah, it's really a very special thing between like donor to donor mm-hmm. um, because you can't have those same conversations with the charity, right? Because you're mm-hmm. trying to support the charity. So yeah, it it has created, it's it was a bit of a surprise to us, but we really were, were happy to discover that this was actually something that was a big need. I'm just curious uh, for people listening, they may think, but I don't actually have a boat that I can bring people on. Have you encountered other creative ways that uh, donors have been able to be brought together that aren't the the room with 50 circular tables? I, I think what it boils down to is just really connecting with your charity that you're supporting and saying, look, these are opportunities that I could facilitate. You know, Mm -hmm. some people are great at coordinating the golf game thing. And there's a lot of guys and women that like to just go do a charity golf Mm -hmm. thing. But for those that the golf charity event is overdone, then, you know, is it, if you've got a barn on your property, just doing Mm -hmm. a a dance thing or a mini concert or a, you know, again, it's it's coming back to some of that creativity Mm -hmm. and going, what can I do to facilitate um, that relationship between charity and donor? Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing those ideas, Ruth. What would be some of the books or resources or like the way that you talk about these things, like obviously you've, you've read about it, you've experienced it, you've, what can people go and check out for themselves to learn more about what you're talking about? Well, when it comes to redemptive entrepreneurship, as I said, I'm not the professional <laughs> um, and, and I'm, I'm learning a lot, but I would, I would say for sure, if you're wanting to get more out of your entrepreneurship or your professional life to go to praxislabs.org. And I think that's the link that I sent you. There's a great depth to what they're discussing and I'm I'm really excited about it. It's called 
uh, a rule of life mm-hmm. that's been put out by Praxis Labs. The great thing about it is, is that they have some great graphs in here that really help you put into balance power, money, um, impact, mm-hmm. and I, I just would really encourage people to go to Praxis uh, Labs and take a look. You know, when we got married, we started off in living in someone's basement um, and built a couple businesses. And we went from, you know, the bottom of the financial spectrum up towards the the upper end. And what it, what we noticed is that more and more people feel that wealth is the thing that saves you, but wealth can is most often the thing that breaks you. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of broken homes, broken families, broken identities. And it comes from that striving for power and striving for money over enjoying, you know, living life and having relationship both with your peers and with God. And the, the rule of life that Praxis has developed really kind of brings back into balance where your power center should be, you know, where your focus should be. So I do really encourage entrepreneurs and professionals to take a look at that uh, because they will get a different perspective that can help just shape your your objectives a little bit better. That resonates with me when I think of how we at Food for the Hungry often start a discussion about poverty with the root causes being connected to broken relationships. And if we have a perspective on poverty as a lack of material goods, then you would, like you just said, naturally assume that people who have money or wealth should have arrived, right? That should be it. There should be no poverty. And yet we see evidence of broken relationships in places where financial resources are not an issue. And so I just... I really appreciate you pointing out again that what we're talking about here when we talk about poverty is that core issue of brokenness, of the need for those reconciled and healed relationships. I, I would say that the most interesting point in our lives was uh, when we sold off a bunch of stock in, in one of the companies and uh, we suddenly had uh, a whole bunch of money. Mm-hmm. And my husband called me and he said, honey, we have two options. We can go out and get ourselves a much bigger house and add more debt to our portfolio. Or we can pay everything off and we can live stress-free with the size of smaller house that we have now. We live in the... in." an area of Toronto that is lovely, but you know, house lots, it's not like you've got acres of property. Mm. And so he's like, do you want to go to the, the bigger, you know, multi-million dollar mansion or do you want to just stay where we are? And, and I said to him, I know with the level of stress you're under that for you to be able to wipe out all of our debt would be the best thing mm. for you. And so in the end, we retired young because we looked at it and went, yes, we can continue working. I've always been a workaholic. It's very hard for me to leave the office. But I was like, we can continue to strive or we can be satisfied with where we're at now and we can 
we rally car race together. We ride motorcycles together. We That's sail. the adventurer part, hey? <laughs> right. We get to enjoy life together, but we also get to be a part of so many great uh, charitable stories that have an impact globally. And so it's, you know, again, where does your treasure lie? Mm. Does your treasure lie in making more, having more power? Is it more? Or can you be content along your journey and be happy with where God has you now? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Ruth, I really appreciate you and your perspective. I encountered you first. We met when you were voluntarily leading an organization um, as the executive director. And at the time, I thought, wow, this is this is an incredible gift that you are willing to give. And so I just want to thank you for, yes, the ways that you and your husband financially support so many different charities and organizations, but also the way you give of your time and your talents and your skills. So on behalf of those of us who work in the nonprofit sector, thank you for that. It, it has been a fun adventure with God. Mm-hmm. Well, Ruth, I feel like I need to ask this question with kind of a bit tongue-in-cheek because of what you talked about with the, the email list that went out when you returned from that sabbatical. We typically ask our, our guests, where can our listeners find you? Um, so that feels a little bit inappropriate based on what you said. But for those who are interested in learning more, obviously there's Praxis Labs to check out, but anything else that you encourage uh, our listeners to go and seek out or things that they can look at for themselves? Well, we're kind of a goofy couple. We do all kinds of things together. So if you want to see more about our various adventures, we're at thoroughgoodadventures.com. Of course, thoroughgood spelt T-H-O-R-O good.com uh, adventures. But uh, I have also set up a a website for the Redemptive Entrepreneurship Conversations, and that is, again, thorough, T-H-O-R-O, dash good, dash change.com. And that is where we've been discussing more about redemptive entrepreneurship. And we've been highlighting different experts in different fields to really, my and my hope through it is to really get people thinking about ways that they can uniquely be redemptive in their work. Great. Thank you so much, Ruth. We really appreciate your time and the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you both. To explore what your next steps could be, or find out what other Canadians are doing about poverty, start by checking out fhcanada.org resources. 